Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. Now a thou loves me, let me see his letter. Good Master Fabian, grant me another request anything. Do not desire to see this letter. This is to give a dog, and in recompense desire my dog again. Belong you to the Lady Olivia, friends? Aye, sir, we are of her trappings. I know thee well. How dost thou, my good fellow? Truly, sir, the better for my foes, and the worse for my friends. Uh, Just the contrary? The better for thy friends? Uh, No, sir, the worse. How can that be? Mary, sir. They praise me and make an ass of me. Now, my foes tell me plainly I am an ass, so that by my foes, sir, I profit in the knowledge of myself, and by my friends, I'm abused, so that conclusions to be as kisses, if your four negatives make your two affirmatives, why then, the worse for my friends and the better for my foes. Why, this is excellent. By my troth, sir, though it please you to be one of my friends? Uh, thou shalt not be the worse for me. There's gold. But that it would be double dealing, sir. I would, you could make it another. Oh, you give me ill counsel. Put your grace in your pocket, sir, for this once, and let your flesh and blood obey. Well, I will be so much a sinner to be a double dealer. There's another. Primo Segundo Tertio is a good play, and the old saying is, the third pays for all. The triplex, sir, is a good tripping measure. Or the bells of St. Bennet, sir, may put you in mind. One, two, three. You can fool no more money out of me at this throw. If you will let your lady know I am here to speak with her and bring her along with you, it may awake my bounty further. Mary, sir, lullaby to your bounty till I come again. I go, sir, but I would not have you to think that my desire of having is the sin of covetousness. But... As you say, sir, let your bounty take a nap. I will awake it anon. Here comes the man, sir, that did rescue me. That face of his I do remember well. Yet when I saw it last, it was besmeared, as black as Vulcan in the smoke of war. A bobbling vessel was he the captain of, for shallow draft and bulk unprizable, with which such scathful grapple did he make with the most noble bottom of our fleet that very envy and the tongue of loss cried fame and honor on him. What's the matter? Orsino, 
This is that Antonio that took the phoenix and her fraught from Tandy. This is he that did the tiger board when your young nephew Titus lost his leg. Here in the streets, desperate of shame and state, in private brabble, we did apprehend him. He did me kindness, sir, drew on my side, but in conclusion put strange speech upon me. I know not <laughs> what twas but distraction. Notable pirate, thou saltwater thief, what foolish boldness brought thee to their mercies, whom thou, in terms so bloody and so dear, hast made thine enemies? Orsino, noble sir, be pleased that I shake off these names you give me. Antonio never yet was thief or pirate, though I confess on base and ground enough, Orsino's enemy. A witchcraft drew me hither, that most ungrateful boy there by your side. From the rude sea's enraged and foamy mouth did I redeem a wreck past hope he was. His life I gave him and did thereto add my love, without retention or restraint. All his in dedication for his sake did I expose myself pure for his love into the danger of this adverse town, drew to defend him when he was beset, where being apprehended his false cunning, not meaning to partake with me in danger, taught him to face me out of his acquaintance, and grew a twenty years removed thing, while one would wink denied me mine own purse, which I had recommended to his use. Not half an hour before. How can this be? When came he to this town? Today, my lord. And for three months before. No interim, not a minute vacancy. Both day and night did we keep company. Oh, here comes the countess. Now heaven walks on earth. But for thee, fellow, fellow, thy words are madness. Three months this youth hath tended upon me. Uh, but more of that anon. Take him aside. What would my lord, but that he may not have, wherein Olivia may seem serviceable? Cesario, you do not keep promise with me. Madam? Gracious Olivia. What do you say, Cesario? Good, my lord. My lord would speak. My duty hushes me. If it be aught to the old tune, my lord, it is as fat and fulsome to mine ear as howling after music. Still so cruel? Still so constant, lord. What? To perverseness? You uncivil lady! To whose ingrate and inauspicious altars my soul the faithfulest offerings hath breathed out, that e'er devotion tendered. What shall I do? Even what it please, my lord, that shall become him. Why should I not, had I the heart to do it, like the thief at point of death kill what I love? A savage jealousy that sometimes savors nobly. But hear me this, since you, to non-regardance, cast my faith, and that I partly know the instrument that screws me from my true place in your favor? Live you the marble-breasted tyrant still? But this, your minion, whom I know you love, and whom, by heaven I swear, I tender dearly, him will I tear out of that cruel eye, where he sits crowned in his master's spite. Come, boy, with me, my thoughts are ripe in mischief. I'll sacrifice the lamb that I do love to spite a raven's heart within a dove. And I, most jocund, apt and willingly, to do you rest, a thousand deaths would die. Where goes Cesario? After him I love, more than I love these eyes, more than my life, more by all mores than e'er I shall love wife. 
if I do feign your witnesses above, punish my life for tainting of my love. I me detested. How am I beguiled? Who does beguile you? Who does you wrong? Hast thou forgot thyself? Alas, it is the baseness of thy fear that makes thee strangle thy propriety. Fear not, Cesario. Take thy fortunes up. Be that thou knowst thou art, and then thou art as great as that thou fearst. Oh, welcome, father. Father, I charge thee, by thy reverence, here to unfold, though lately we intended to keep in darkness what occasion now reveals before it is right, what thou dost know hath newly passed between this youth and me. A contract of eternal bond of love, confirmed by mutual joinder of your hands, attested by the holy close of lips, strengthened by the interchangement of your rings, and all the ceremony of this compact sealed in my function by my testimony. Since when, my watch hath told me toward my grave I've traveled but uh, two hours. Oh, thou dissembling cub, what wilt thou be when time hath sowed a grizzle on thy case? Or will not else thy craft so quickly grow that thine own trip shall be thine overthrow? Farewell, and take her. But direct thy feet, where thou and I henceforth may never meet. My lord, I do protest. Oh, do not swear. Hold little faith, though thou hast too much fear. For the love of God, a surgeon, send one presently to Sir Toby. What's the matter? He has broke my head across and has given Sir Toby a bloody coxcomb too. For the love of God, your, your help. I'd rather than forty pound I were at home. Who has done this, Sir Andrew? The Count's gentleman, one Cesaria. We took him for a coward, but he's the very devil incarnate. My gentleman, Cesario? Oh, lifelines, here he is. You broke my head for nothing, and that I did. I was set on to do it by Sir Toby. Why do you speak to me? I never hurt you. You drew your sword upon me without cause, but I bespoke you fair and hurt you not. <gasps> If a bloody coxcomb be a hurt, you have hurt me. I think you set nothing by a bloody coxcomb. Here comes Sir Toby halting. You shall hear more. But if he had not been in drink, he would have tickled your other gates than he did. Oh, now, gentlemen, what is it with you? Patrol one, he has hurt me. Ah, there's the end on it. Sotis. See, Dick Surgeon's on. Oh, he's drunk, Sir Toby Belch, an hour agone. His eyes were set at eight in the morning. That is a rogue, and a posse measures Pemain. I hate you. Away with him. Who hath made this havoc with them? I'll help you, Sir Toby, because we'll be dressed together. Will you help? And I said... And a coxcomb, and a knave, and a thin-faced knave, a cock! Get him to bed, and let his hurt be looked to. I am sorry, madam. I have hurt your kinsman. But had it been the brother of my blood, I must have done no less with wit and safety. You threw a strange regard upon me, and by that I do perceive it hath offended you. Pardon me, sweet one. Even for the vows we made each other but so late ago. One voice, one habit... And two persons. A natural perspective that is and is not. Antonio, oh, my dear Antonio, how have the hours racked and tortured me since I have lost thee? Sebastian, are you? Fearest thou that, Antonio? In twos. 
not more twin than these two creatures. Which is Sebastian? Most wonderful. Do I stand there? I never had a brother. Nor can there be that deity in my nature, of here and everywhere. I had a sister, whom the blind waves and surges have devoured. Of charity, what kin are you to me? What countryman? What name? What parentage? Of Messaline, Sebastian was my father. Such a Sebastian was my brother too. So went he suited to his watery tomb. If spirits can assume both form and suit, you come to fright us. A spirit I am indeed, but am in that dimension grossly clad, which from the womb I did participate. Were you a woman, as the rest goes even? I should my tears let fall upon your cheek and say, Thrice welcome, drowned Viola. My father had a mole upon his brow. And so had mine. And died that day when Viola from her birth had numbered thirteen years. Oh, that record is lively in my soul. He finished indeed his mortal act, that day that made my sister thirteen years. If nothing lets to make us happy both, but this my masculine usurped attire, do not embrace me till each circumstance of place, time, fortune, do cohere and jump that I am Viola, which to confirm, I'll bring you to a captain in this town, where lie my maiden weeds, by whose gentle help I was preserved to serve this noble count. All the occurrence of my fortune since hath been between this lady and this lord. So comes it, lady. You have been mistook. But nature to her bias drew in that. You would have been contracted to a maid. Nor are you therein by my life deceived. You are betrothed both to a maid and man. Be not amazed. Right noble is his blood. If this be so, as yet the glass seems true, I shall have share in this most happy wreck. Boy, thou hast said to me a thousand times, thou never shouldst love woman like to me. And all those sayings will I overswear, and those swearings keep as true in soul as doth that orbed continent the fire that severs day from night. Give me thy hand, and let me see thee in thy women's weeds. The captain that did bring me first on shore hath my maid's garments. He upon some action is now endurance at Navolio's suit. A gentleman and follower of my lady's. He shall enlarge him. Fetch Malvolio hither. And yet, alas, now I remember me. They say, poor gentleman, he's much distract. He shall enlarge him. Fetch Malvolio hither. And yet, alas, now I remember me. They say, poor gentleman, he's much distract. A most extracting frenzy of mine own, from my remembrance, clearly banished his. How does he, sirrah? Truly, madam, he holds Beelzebub at the stave's end as well as a man in his case may do. Has he writ a letter to you? I should have given it to you today morning, but as a madman's epistles are no gospels, so it skills not much when they are delivered. Open it and read it. Look then to be well edified when the fool delivers the madman. <clears throat> By the Lord, madam! How now? Art thou mad? Uh, no, madam, I, I do but read madness, and your ladyship will have it as it ought to be. You must allow Vox. Prithee, read of thy right wits. Uh, so I do, Madonna. But to read his right wits is to read thus. Therefore, perpend, my princess, and give ear. Read it you, sirrah. By the Lord, madam, you wrong me, and the world shall know it. Though you have put me into 
darkness, and given your drunken cousin rule over me, yet have I the benefit of my senses, as well as your ladyship, I have your own letter that induced me to the semblance I put on, with the which I doubt not but to do myself much right, or you much shame. Think of me as you please, I leave my duty a little unthought of, and speak out of my injury. The madly used Malvolio. Did he write this? Aye, madam. This savors not much of distraction. See him delivered, Fabian. Bring him hither. My lord, so please you. These things further thought on. To think me as well a sister as a wife, one day shall crown the alliance on't, so please you, here at my house and at my proper cost. Madam, I am most apt to embrace your offer. Your master quits you, and for your service done him, so much against the mettle of your sex, so far beneath your soft and tender breeding, and since you called me master for so long, here is my hand. You shall from this time be your master's mistress. A sister, you are she. Is this the madman? Ay, my lord, the same. How now, Malvolio? Madam, you have done me wrong. Notorious wrong. Have I, Malvolio? No. Lady, you have. Pray you, peruse that letter. <clears throat> you must not now deny it is your hand. Writ from it, if you can, in hand or phrase. Or say it is not your seal, nor your invention. You can say none of this. Well, grant it then. <clears throat> and tell me, in the modesty of honour, why you have given me such clear lights of favour, bade me come smiling and cross-guarded to you, to put on yellow stockings and to frown upon Sir Toby and the lighter people, and acting this in an obedient hope, why have you suffered me to be imprisoned, kept in a dark house, visited by a priest, and made the most notorious gack and gull that e'er invention played on. Tell me why. Alas, Malvolio, this is not my writing, though I confess much like the character, but out of question tis Maria's hand, and now I do bethink me it was she first told me thou wast mad, then camest in smiling, and in such forms which here were presupposed upon thee in the letter. Prithee, be content. This practice hath most shrewdly passed upon thee, but when we know the grounds and authors of it, thou shalt be both the plaintiff and the judge of thine own cause. Good madam, hear me speak, and let no quarrel nor no brawl to come. Taint the condition of this present hour, which I have wondered at, and hope it shall not, most freely, I confess, myself and Toby Belch. Said this device against Malvolio here. Upon some stubborn and uncourteous parts, we have conceived against him. Maria writ the letter at Sir Toby's great importance. In recompense whereof he hath married her. How with a sport for malice it was followed. May rather pluck on laughter than revenge. If that the injuries be justly weighed, that have on both sides passed. Alas, poor fool, how have they baffled thee? Why? Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrown upon them. I was one, sir, in this interlude. One Sir Topis, sir. But that's all one. 
By the Lord, fool, I am not mad. But do you remember? Madam, why laugh you at such a barren rascal? And smile not, he's gagged. And thus the whirligig of time brings in his revenge. I'll be revenged upon the whole pack of you. He hath been most notoriously abused. Pursue him, and entreat him to a peace. He hath not told us of the captain yet. When that is known, and golden time convince, a solemn combination shall be made of our dear souls. Meantime, sweet sister, we will not part from hence. Cesario, come, for so you shall be while you are a man. But when in other habits you are seen, Orsino's mistress and his fancy's queen. Madam, I am most apt to embrace your offer. Your master quits you, and for your service done him, so much against the metal of your sex, so far beneath your soft and tender breeding. And since you called me master for so long, here is my hand. You shall from this time be your master's mistress. When that I was a little tiny boy With a hey-ho, the wind in the rain A foolish thing was but a toy For the rain it raineth every day With a hey-ho, wind and the rain For the rain it raineth every day When I came to man's estate With a hey-ho, the wind and the rain Against knaves and thieves Men shut their gates For the rain, it raineth every day But when I came, alas, to why With a hey-ho, the wind and the rain By swaggering could I never thrive, for the rain it raineth every day. With a hey-ho, wind and the rain, for the rain it raineth every day. When I came unto my beds, with a hey-ho, the wind and the rain, with tosspots still and drunken heads. For the rain, it raineth every day. A great while ago, the world begun with a hey-ho, the wind and the rain. But that's all one, our play is done. And we'll strive to please you Every day with a hey oh wind and the rain for oh, the rain it raineth every Okay, so we have reached the exciting conclusion of Twelfth Night with Act Five, Scene One, and I have with me today John Bean and Bridget Riley Beauchamp. Did I say Beauchamp right? 
Nobody says Beauchamp, right? Please tell me how to say it. <laughs> um, we actually just say Beauchamp or Beauchamp. Um, Beauchamp, okay. My Beauchamp. the apparently the uh, the southern way of saying it is the English way of saying it, which is Beecham. But oh. um, I told my husband years ago that the first Mrs. Beecham was going to be his second wife. So. <laughs> Right. I have a double major in French. I'm not saying Beecham. <laughs> <laughs> so Bo Beauchamp is Yeah, Beauchamp or Beauchamp with a soft or Beauchamp. Beauchamp. Mm -hmm. People like... do tend to just make it fancy and it doesn't need to be fancy. I like Beauchamp better. Yeah. But I and I have heard the name Beecham before and had think, no folks, idea okay? it was spelled this way. So She'll, well, she'll dear use listeners have heard pick. me mispronouncing it now for however many episodes. No, I really it doesn't <laughs> register. For I, me, I can so. tell, or you would have said something. Yeah. I, I'm We're also sure. going to be picking a last name for me. Um, I'm going yeah. I'm, I'm going for Steel Falcon. Personally, oh, I'm hoping. I thought for maybe him. we no. were changing your name to Beanie, Be since that's mm, how it's pronouncing spelled. the e. Lovely. Binet. Put a put an accent a goo over it. Well, people Beyond. pronounce my name five thousand different ways, and I don't care either if they say Anstead or Onstead or Ainstead or Ahonstead. Doesn't matter, <laughs> as long as they spell it with two A's, so that I get whatever they're trying to send me. Rachel by any other name. Somebody Aww. else, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we are clouding around, which is appropriate because at the beginning of the scene we have Fabian and Festy and uh, Fabian is begging Festy to get a look at the letter. Festy says no. I kind of always picture him sort of holding it out of his reach as Fabian is jumping for it kind mm. of an imagery but obviously everybody should block it the way that they want to. Fabian is kind of grumpy about it and then enter duke orsino viola curio and lords and orsino is talking to festi he is coming to visit olivia and they they do a little bit of sparring where festi gets some money out of orsino and then there's antonio and the officers and orsino recognizes him and there's some discussion with Viola and Antonio pleads his case and that's all going along but then come in Olivia and her attendants and or see at that point Antonio's fate is not really discussed again after this so that is up to the director and the actors how that plays out and we'll talk about that choices that that we've made in the production then Olivia and Arsino go back and forth a little bit, and Arsino is still pitiful. Why don't you love me? I cannot love you. But why don't you love me? Because I don't. Okay, isn't that good enough for you? And then in comes Sir Andrew, wounded, hurting, and then points to Viola saying, this guy just hit me in the head. And Viola says, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, mister. And so there's a little bit of confusion around that. And the confusion, the tension, the, the cross motives are just building and building and building through this scene. And then Toby and Aguecheek leave to go find a doctor. And at that point, Sebastian comes in. And there's the big reveal, 
and everybody talks about, oh my gosh, there's two of you, and people start to figure out what's going on. Then Malvolio comes in, and then we get to the end. That's pretty close, right? We're going to go into a big scene, people. It's it's a classic, oh shit, I gotta wrap this up, act five. Yeah, we're just coming from like these these short scenes, you know, where these mm-hmm. threads are being like kind of starting to weave together. And then this is the big everyone, everyone assemble for the grand finale, as mm-hmm. it were. And so we, we bring them all one strand at a time through the vessel of the clown onto the stage and uh, and everything gets solved or not. You know, we and we well, John have, said we it in a this. much more fancy way than I did. <laughs> And unfortunately, I just realized I had my heater on. So I've turned that off. If there was a buzz, I apologize. You should, you should definitely recap the whole act again, though. Yeah. This is a really fascinating act. Um, I, and I think like what you're saying about Antonio is, is one of the things, you know, there's a couple of mm-hmm. sort of the key decisions that you have to make with your themes here. Um, Antonio, one of the big ones and how you're handling Malvolio at the end mm-hmm. um, and, and that line of sympathy or not um, similar to Antonio and that there's definitely some questions about the happiness of the people involved. And then also, you know, one of the things that um, comes up in production on the production side a lot is Viola and Cesario with not having the burden of, of having a male actor dressed as a female, then playing a male, then having to get all the way back into a female costume mm-hmm. to properly whatever represent a, a female as Orsino commands her if you wanted to do a little you know Disney kind of button at the end of it but nowadays we don't have quite those same trouble that they might have had getting getting those costumes in out off and we have you know women on stage so mm-hmm. um, so it's different because you know you, you see a lot of different takes on that final bit too is is it do we you know adhere strictly to the line and to Orsino's kind of odd not very fairy tale command to well we will do this when i see you in your woman's weeds and uh, yeah let's see the end of the play how you how you clean up in a dress and then we'll decide and we'll see you later or do you you know (laughs) go full you know uh disney well let's let's talk about that when we get when we get to that because i think there are a lot of choices to be made but but you're right in the sense that this this act actually ends up asking more questions than it answers I feel like. And I think that that's one of the beauties of this play. And what makes it a comedy that people want to come back to again and again and again, because it never ends the same way twice in any given production. You know, you people make different choices. And that ends up informing the whole previous part of the play based on what people decide on the end so uh you know it it compared to so many romantic comedies today where like every i is dotted every t is crossed or it's completely open-ended and you have no idea what's going on this somehow hits that balance in between that i, I think is just genius but let's start with uh Fabian and Festi. Uh, so now, you know, what they're discussing, of course, is the letter that Malvolio wrote to Olivia. 
do either of you have any insight about this first little exchange here? It's pretty straightforward, you know. Mm. Um, it, you know, yeah, it's an opportunity for some for some physical stuff, but some quick physical stuff because mm. the audience is getting tired and has to pee. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they've been good audience members and bought beverages during the break. Right. <laughs> Just about now. Just right. ready, so ready to me, go find that plumbing. For me, this whole act is about making strong, quick choices. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's telling that this first interaction is, is a, you know, a gag and a half. And, and then we've, yep. we've got the yep. the cops coming in. we yep. got Duke Orsino coming in. A major status shift. And these right. two are, you know... Uh, now not you know free to carouse across the stage we've got uh the duke the whole court coming in and um mm -hmm. and then this uh this bit of um you know th this ass monologue here that uh the clown has is you know it's almost it's something i've al almost always loved but then it gets into the mm -hmm. derivative parts in the second half of it and mm. you're, you know, once we get into the the four negatives and the two affirmatives and the, 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 the and all that kind of well, stuff. Well, go ahead and read it for us, John. <laughs> well, Mary, sir, they praise me and they make an ass of me, and now my foes tell me plainly I am an ass, so that by my foes, sir, I profit in the knowledge of myself, and by my friends, I am abused, so that. Conclusions to be as kisses, if your four negatives make your two affirmatives, why then the worse for my friends and the better for my foes? <laughs> and it's just this kind of thing, which he, you know, mm -hmm. uh, likes, and then they end up, you know, shooing and that kind of stuff. But it's it, like you said, Bridget, it's like, can we, let's, we're, we got to move this along. This, this is act two material here. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, this is Dogberry. Yeah, this we is, know he's uh, funny. We know he's funny. Let's, yeah, <laughs> this is the scholars in Love's Labor's Lost. Yeah. This is act two material. Everyone doesn't have to meet the clown. Right. <laughs> and it's possible that this gives people time to change their outfits, too. Right. If this is yeah. if they were, mm -hmm. you know, that I, I think you're right that they are stalling for time a little bit here, but... It's quick. It's funny. Um, people understand what's going on. And, you know, again, it shows uh, Festy as being more in control of the situation than Orsino is, who's pretty much floundering mm -hmm. at this point. And it, he only has himself to blame. So uh, Festy is clever. Um uh, Begs a few coins out of him, and there's some shades of, of of sort of psychological, some echoes of you know, uh, you know, the mentions of beauty and 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 the triplex, and there's some kind of pricking going on with Festy there, you know, <laughs> and, uh, as mm -hmm. all good fools monologues do, you know. But mm -hmm. yeah, for the most part, to I yeah, totally agree. This is uh... keep it snappy. <laughs> I think, too, that last bit where he goes, Mary, sir, lullaby to your bounty till I come again. I go, sir, but I would not have you to think that my desire of having is the sin of covetousness. It's all it's a very sexual. And yet it also is sort of foreshadowing that, OK, we're we're wrapping things up here. You know, we're talking about bedtime. We're talking about mm -hmm. He's basically saying that, again, that he's better than Orsino, 
Because Orsino does have the sin of covetousness here. And so Festi's going, look, you can be grumpy if you want. I'm just trying to eat here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just trying to get paid for the job that I do. Meanwhile, you are here again to hit on my lady when she has told you no five different ways. And meanwhile, Festi knows what's been going on with Cesario, too, so... At that moment that Festi is about to leave, and he, it doesn't say that Festi leaves. Do you have Festi leave at that I point? do, yeah. yeah. I, my yeah. version has. Yeah. Yeah. It says down here that Festi leaves with Fabian, but I, I think it makes sense to have Festi leave to go get Olivia, since that's mm-hmm. what he said he would do. Um, meanwhile... Uh, Orsino recognizes Antonio, and he's talking about how, uh, yet when I saw it last, it was besmeared as black as Vulcan in the smoke of war. And I want to be real clear about this, that this is no comment on Antonio's racial identity. It's just that in the middle of war, people get dirty, (laughs) Their, their faces get full of smoke and charcoal and mud and blood. Yeah, can- cannonballs, blast, gunpowder, you know, pitch, mm-hmm. smoke, charcoal. Um, and it, he also says, uh, when I saw it last, it was besmeared as yes. black as Vulcan in the smoke of war, implying that it's not usually Right, besmeared. right. Um, but you can still have a black Antonio. Oh, I mean, you, you can know, do... For heaven's sake, the whole, the do, whole yeah. cast can be any... Any ethnicity, a body type, what, whatever you want. I think you're onto something interesting there with Antonio, if I may, um, that there's a, uh, since there is such an otherness with him, especially if you find yourself in a casting situation where you don't necessarily have the, the full, you know, dearth of, you know, oh, I've got six different males of these varying ages to choose from and six different females of, e- of these, and, you know, where, um, but there is an otherness to the relationship mm-hmm. Um, between Antonio and Sebastian, it's you know it, it's it, it's clear upon examination and and knowledge of Shakespeare, but there is something that no matter what has to get handled. There has to be like a, um, uh, and it, you know if you don't have an actor that can pull the nuance of of Antonio's feelings for Sebastian and devotion, um, and it. To say then you, the you can run the risk of like a kind of getting into a tokenism thing with him, you know, mm-hmm. where you, you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the same, like you know, I've I've explored a couple of different things where looking back, I might explore it differently, you know, um, like with the devotion thing, and I, I told you about this wolf idea, you know, uh, mm-hmm. working with it before, or um, in a production there was a young man um, that was it, it came across more as a ward sort of a, a some kind of you know um i think i had seventh voyage sinbad in my head you know like the genie in sinbad mm-hmm. that old claymation like look at anyway but mm-hmm. um it's it's i i think with the um <laughs> the, the part is really so resoundingly singular and in his in his, and just so un i mean a pirate a traveler and and so not um effect and, and, and not a product of all these other little individual stories and hierarchies that are going on around him. It gives you a lot of room at the same time. It's important to not get, yeah, you know, the further along I go, the more I'm like, it's important to, to make sure that we're just specifically 
serving this character and that mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not just like making him the other, you know, like just yeah, just for the shit important. of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is super mm-hmm. important. And unfortunately, I have seen a lot of productions make that mistake. Uh, and you know, we understand why this is, right? You know, we are enmeshed in white supremacy and, you know, heteronormativeness and, and all of that. And, you know, listeners, you are as well aware of that as we are. If you have gotten this far in our podcast, then uh, <laughs> you totally understand that those issues are a concern. Uh, in my case, I just tried to find the most charming member of my cast right. and <laughs> <I> totally... <laughs> made them Antonio <laughs> and partly because you know we need to remember of course that we are there to entertain the audience and so if we have kind of an uncharismatic Antonio it makes no sense and it makes those scenes just fall flat because a lot of those are just Sebastian and Antonio. Uh, Sebastian does not get a lot to work with. But if you have a really good Antonio, then they can carry those scenes no problem. So yeah, I, I, I feel think it's like a I've, I've great part. In my later exploration with it, I've always uh, mm. um, sort of glommed on to the closest, like to the Hamlet actor in my group or something, you know, like someone that can mm. handle the, that level of text <laughs> and nuance and, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the mm. tragedy of it. I mean, the guy's, you know, yeah. he's rolling in a tragedy, this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Orsino recognizes, then we have First Officer. My heart goes out to everyone who's ever played First Officer. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and you know he, he gets you know the first officer gets some lines i mean they have to memorize things what do they they show up like you know in two scenes uh plenty of time for them to go get dinner and come back usually so uh viola explains to the first officer that he did me kindness sir drew on my side but in conclusion, put strange speech upon me. I know not what twas, but distraction. So this is kind of a tricky little thing. I, I feel like it just kind of rolls off and everybody goes, well, that's a thing. But, you know, this idea of putting strange speech upon someone, I so often want to say online, why are you putting strange speech upon me? But I don't think <laughs> I don't think they'll get it. Uh, but Viola's basically saying, yeah, I, he was nice, and uh, but he's I don't understand why. I don't know what's going on. And, and with the entrance of Antonio yeah. here, we're in the land of verse. So he mm-hmm. he brings us into the poetry of the scene forgive my dogs barking in the background <laughs> i don't know if you guys can hear that but um <laughs> olive uh named for Eight olivia thoughts. baby right? entirely possible <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> the yeah so that face of his i do remember well uh the antonio's entrance changes the whole island changes that whole the whole scene where we are right now and now all of a sudden everyone and you'll notice like you know like uh 
and I know you're talking about the strangeness of the speech, meaning the things that he's saying, I had no knowledge were happening uh, it, with, mm-hmm. with Violet, but also uh, Orsino and Antonio start engaging in a very, you know, uh, almost like a history play, you know, sort of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. recitation back and forth of these, uh, you know, the officers and the, the, the battles and, um, and the, uh, Thou cunning villains and the the shaking off of the chains that you throw upon me. And all of a sudden, this whole thing is very official. And it's a, it's a mode that we haven't really seen for Orsino, really. And it's all done in this mm. verse. And Orsino calls him a pirate. Antonio says, no, I'm not a pirate. <laughs> I don't know, Antonio. You sound like a pirate. But he he goes on to explain where he thinks he knows Viola from, that he fished this beautiful youth out of the ocean. And now all of a sudden, he, you don't know me no more? What's going on? And I gave you all my money. Uh, Well, one would wink, denied me mine own purse, which I had recommended to his use not half an hour before. We understand the injustice of this. It's a very sympathetic speech for Antonio. Viola goes, still, I don't know what, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And, and Arsena says, but wait a minute, when did this friend of yours come to town? And Antonio says, today. And all of a sudden, everybody's going, wait, how can that be? All of a sudden, Antonio again just seems like he's making shit up because everything that he says is disputed. He says, I'm not a pirate. Uh, This guy just showed up today, and Orsino knows that none of those things are true. Luckily for Antonio, Olivia walks in. How how was your guy's Antonio here? This is is the, the one where he really, you know, rhapsodizes, you know, like where he, you know, I mean... My Antonia was just amazing and just gave the most beautiful performance, partly because Antonio almost starts out as a buffoon for, for love, right? It's And then mm. ends up in this fight <laughs> and then is like going to jail and the whole time just professing their love over and over and over about Sebastian. So... I think it's it's kind of heartbreaking. But, you know, the emotional tones of the scene are like a freaking roller coaster, right? Because here goes Antonio mm. giving this pathos-filled speech. How did, how did you two work that? How did, as John was asking, how did you guys do Antonio? Um, well, our Antonio was, it was a mixed, mm-hmm. it's a mixed gender cast. And our Antonio was a woman who played him as a man. And she was amazing. I yeah, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> like screw Sebastian. I want to hang out with Antonio. Like he was, she was really um, impassioned and um, very masculine in a mm-hmm. in a not overbearing but very confident way. It was really, it was, it was gorgeous. How were your Antonios, John? I've, I've kind of really gone for different things each time, and I, I, it's been a learning thing. 
You know, the one that I saw that was really the, the one that always registers in my head, it occupies the space when I hear the word Antonio, is the one from the Ben Kingsley movie. And he was just so earthy. So it was one of the things that got so, so correct, I thought, in that movie. You know, I had some problems with a bunch of it. But, um, and I can't remember the actor's name, although he was dashing and had a Gerard Depardieu, young Gerard Depardieu kind of quality to him. But it, but a very earthy, a very, uh, just a earnest, great sorrow. And I, I just remember really, that's that's the the goal, you know, the, the thing that he plucked in that movie. So, um yeah, it's always, it's, it's always something I, I played with a bunch. <laughs> okay, so then Orsino is the one who asks, and then Antonio, and then nobody has a chance to respond to Antonio's revelation. Orsino, always with an eye out for Olivia, spots her coming in. And this is so silly, man. I mean, because if you look at him, we've had, eh, what? two pages or something and he's gone from chuggity jokity clown <laughs> antonio the pirate the officer oh my god the girl you know well, here, go ahead. how about if you two oh, read hold on. read those couple of lines all righty john will you right, which will which you one Arsino? Oh, okay you get to, you get to read Arsino because we know how bridget feels about <laughs> and Arsino. <laughs> and Arsino, exactly well here comes the countess no i'm kidding <laughs> well, um, okay. Give us your oiliest uh, lounge singer. <laughs> okay. Here comes the countess. Now heaven walks on earth. But for the fellow. Fellow, thy words are madness. Three months this youth attended upon me. But more of that are none. Take him aside. What would, my lord, but that he may not have, wherein Olivia may seem serviceable? Cesario, you do not keep promise with me. <laughs> Gracious <And> Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> Viola says, madam. Gracious Olivia. Flippity bibbity. Because, of course, Viola, you know, Olivia is confusing Viola for Sebastian, who, you know, just recently said, sure, lady, I'll follow you anywhere. And then apparently did not because there's Viola standing right there. And then we have the fourth complete switch for Orsino mm-hmm. in, in this next bit. This, mm-hmm. Just a complete flip. If it be out to the old two, my lord, Olivia says it is fat, fulsome to mine ears, howling after music, still so cruel, still so constant. What to perverse this, you uncivil lady? <laughs> this is just like... <laughs> You know, all of the character development that was lacking the previous four acts all happens <laughs> right here. He's just having all all the feelings all at once. The poor soul. He's a little moody. He's a little He's moody. A little moody. <laughs> and yet, one can hardly blame him in this scene. You know, the emotional pivots that the actors have to make in this scene. It it reminds me of Noises Off in terms of physical comedy, where people are going in and out of doors and carrying sardines around and everything. You've got to have it builds, every yeah. You got to have every emotion available to go in and out of those relationship doors where, you know, they change. And and this happens to all of us, right? We change our affect depending on who we are talking to. And all of a sudden, Orsino, who lives, let's face it, a very sheltered life, has plenty of time to decide what his reaction is going to be 
can spend hours indulging in what he wants his emotional response to be and then send his minions off to express his desires for him suddenly has to cope. <laughs> like a miserable the, little child just a miserable <laughs> tiny little boy there is there is no filter between him and all these people so who bratty. he suddenly has to so deal with all with at once all at once uh, it, it's wonderful and so meanwhile you know Olivia is still going I cannot believe you are still going on about this and then he gets to the, well, I always thought you were ugly anyway. And <laughs> I can yeah. tell you, unfortunately, um, you know, any person who presents female has had this experience. I'm sure it's happened to people who present male as well, but it overwhelmingly happens to people who present female where somebody will say, oh, I want you, I want you, you're so beautiful, I want you. And then if the female presenting person says, uh, no, thank you, then the rejected person says, oh, well, you know, you're ugly. Instant hatred, right. Like and Instant mm, hatred, just it, like switches on a dime, Boy, that's which... I, it's I was so just dangerous. Gonna, I was just gonna fuck you because I felt bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I'll kill you. Like, right. Yeah. Exactly. Now I'll kill you. It's amazing yeah. how close those things are, uh, in uh, in in some cases, and especially that Shakespeare's able to. You know, I, I I think this brings up an excellent point, which is the danger of what Duke uh, Orsino here mm -hmm. is saying in these moments. You know, as mm -hmm. he builds into this. Why should I not have I the heart to do it like to the Egyptian thief at point of death till what I love, mm -hmm. you know? And he goes into this mm -hmm. whole, you know, I, it's very dangerous, these, these emotions here. And he's so quicksilver with it. But it's, um, you know, he's come boy with me. My thoughts are ripe in mischief. I'll sacrifice the land that I, you know, and you got to figure out how you're staging this here. But it's, there's usually like a, a some kind of a costing, you know, happening here in, in some mm -hmm. fashion, you know? And in, in the source text where this plot was taken from, uh, Orsino does put Viola in prison. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it gets considerably, you know, darker in terms of Orsino's behavior. And, you know, he's furious because he feels like Viola has doubled crossed him by having Olivia fall in love with Cesario. And yeah, as a portrait of toxic masculinity, you don't get much more accurate than Orsino in this case, in a particular style. You know, we can argue about other kinds of toxic masculinity. I mean, really, you know, it's infinite, but... Yeah, there's nothing. There's... He's not done a thing for her. I mean, I'm trying to think of what he's done besides trying to. I mean, he sent m missives. You know, I mean, as mm -hmm. as has he? He's harassed her. He's, he has. He's just said, "I like you, her. and and you need to mm -hmm. get with me." But this is their only. I mean, I mean, this is the most interaction that we've we can imagine here, and there's not like. I don't know. There's not some body of like, uh, you know, legislation that they put together <laughs> earlier for the uh, 
peasants and citizens of the land that they worked under. They don't have a history of like work, you know, uh, creating new uh, civic uh, things for well, everyone. We don't and, know, you know, we right? don't know anything I about mean, that. We, it's just it's just a mewling. What do they call that? The nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. The nice guy problem, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm nice, so you should like me. I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm so nice. Why, yeah. don't, why don't you like yeah. me? Exactly. Ugh. Well, remember, the whole place starts with him whining about the woman that, you know, that she doesn't love mm-hmm. him back. Yeah. Like, that's the first time we see him. He's saying, oh, you know what? I've been stalking this woman for years, and she has no interest in me. I can't imagine why. Yeah. How, so this is how important is it to make him likable? He takes so much of the footprint of the play. You know what I mean? He's, he's I got... don't think you have to. We're, we're, we're... Uh, it's hard, though, because if you don't make him likable, then why is Viola why is Viola? Love yeah, exactly. you got to do... There's gotta well, be... I don't know, quite honestly. <laughs> I never answered that. But unfortunately, having fallen in love with toxic men in the past... Uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. We don't always fall in love with the people that we should fall in love with. And all of this should be a big old red flag to Viola. And none of it is. She's lost, you know, her father and her brother. And, you know, at at the right. risk she's of... She's totally freaking traumatized. Getting, <laughs> she's traumatized. She's, and at she's... the risk of skirting dangerously close to Freudian territory here, mm. uh, you know, is she really looking for an equal here? Or is she looking for someone like to a take savior. care of her? You know, I was just in the freaking mm-hmm. ocean, for God's sakes, you know? And she's, mm-hmm. of course, not aware of all this, but... Mm-hmm. Is she looking for a daddy figure? Exactly. You know, I mean, is there... More than... It's, a you partner, know, you know. For me, Orsina's always like. I think this may speak to why I've always cast him, it, kind of into that rock star land. Like, there's just mm-hmm. some kind of quality there, like that. Mm-hmm. I, I've always, you know, kind of half consciously been trying to pull from, and it needs that level of charisma, or you know, like a Russell Brand, uh, you know, ten years ago kind of vibe, or some kind of like it needs something. <laughs> That just for the right combination of people would would just as presenting on the stage right there, you know, ooze sexuality or charisma or something that you know your basic young girl would, without knowing anything about his character, would at least go like you know in the in the story would go, hey, you know, there has to be something freaking redeemable there, you know, or not redeemable, but I mean something uh, interesting to uh, Cesario that catches the interest, you know, and uh, yeah. Well, I I sympathize with that. And I I did that with my Orsino. And yet I think depending on the production, like, you know, I don't feel like Orsino necessarily has to be older significantly than Viola Cesario, although Orsino can be. Uh, You know, they, they need to be of an age where it's it's appropriate for them to marry that they should be married at this point because you know even he realizes that look i got to i got to get married i got to do this thing but i'm in love with this woman who is not in love with me but i i think it's possible to if you have the right actors to kind of pull off that creepy wood woody allen kind of dynamic <laughs> that's amazing 
That is some casting I would have never. That's I would have never. Now that's the only thing I can think of. I <laughs> I'm I'm gonna disagree with I, you guys. I there has to be something. This is a comedy. Viola is the heroine of the comedy. This is the person that at the end of the play, we are supposed to believe she has a happily ever after, at least a happily ever in the foreseeable future with. And if you cast him as someone who is creepy or stalkery or Woody Allen-y, that there's no way for this I'm to sorry, end I, as a comedy. I, I wasn't laughing in terms of the. Oh no! I know! I know! I know! I know! I know! I know! But yeah. I'm just saying, like, there's no way this can end as a comedy if yeah. Orsino is gross. Well, and here we're getting to why the ending of the play informs all the choices that you make in terms of casting and everything else. How how are you going to end this play? And it's not always clear to me that framing it purely as a comedy is necessarily the way to go for every audience. I think that there's a case to be made for certain audiences that are interested in the gender issues, that are interested in looking at those kinds of dynamics in, you know, showing a character who, I mean, let's face it. Okay. Now to stick with Woody Allen, uh, I, we all I, thought he was funny. I, we, I just all, we didn't all think he was funny. I just clued in on his on his look. I, I that's what I was I know, laughing I at. It. That was I all get, I clued I in it, on when he I said know, that. No. I, like... I mean, I say these things knowing that people are going to laugh, so don't feel bad. It's a it's a comedy trick, you know, where you're juxtapositioning two things that don't normally go together, and it just right. automatically. Woody Allen, Jessica Rabbit. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know. Having met people who, you know, come off as very charismatic and then, you know, become increasingly more and more, you realize how inappropriate that they really are in spite of the charisma. So, like, I I guess what I'm getting at is that I think it needs to be somebody who can be psychologically charismatic, that... It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is physically charismatic, that if you have the right actor and Mm. the right setting, that you can make something really interesting out of that dynamic. Now, again, like, you know, we're, we're going forward a little bit, but I did not have my characters all happily paired up at the end. I left it open. Because to me, Orsino has said, oh, well, go put a dress on, lady, and we'll talk then. I don't know if Viola does. Shakespeare doesn't tell us that she does. We don't have to assume that she does. And so you can decide, you know, if you are producing this to talk about the fluidity of gender, the choices that people can make, you do not have to tie it all up with a bow. You do not have to have Viola end up with Orsino. She can watch him walk off stage after he told her to go put on a dress and go, hmm, nah, and go back to hanging out with Olivia. I think the, the have... ambiguity mm-hmm. is is key. It's actually written into the play. It's probably Shakespeare's greatest strength. As, as a writer, aside from his ability to remove himself and our mm-hmm. estimation of his his personal 
uh, ideologist to a certain extent, although he's definitely humanist from it. But uh, his his ambiguity and his ability to encapsulate all of these, you know, not solving it as a comedy, not solving it as a uh, as a marriage. But I think the important thing is that it diminishes Viola if Orsino is not worthy of her gaze. That we need, there's nothing sexier than seeing an intelligent person on stage looking at another intelligent person. And in fact, I think that's the best thing that we can go to theater for. When you see those things, you know, that's as actors, what we call like being actually real in the moment. When you're when you're at home enough and and understand the moment and can live in that moment. When you have intelligent artists, actors, and characters. Uh, on stage, just living in each other's gaze, there's nothing more interesting in the world to watch. There doesn't even have to be a line of text. And so for all of this to, you know, I mean, Shakespeare, what, what's the other name of the play, right? What what you will, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, that speaks, I think, to the ambiguity, and it, it could let us off the hook, you know, a little bit with a lot of this, because there's does, so many because it's, things. Because it is Twelfth Night, it's the spirit but I of think Carnival. You need to, I think you need to mean it, though, when we're know. putting it on, you know? like, And I think, mm-hmm. I, I do like what Bridget said. I think it's a melding here of both of these points of view I, I, I... I think you need to know your company and know your audience you know if you're doing if you're doing um, Shakespeare in the park or or you know like a, a big production um, you know there, there's so many situations where you want it to be a comedy you want people to get what they are expecting to get out of their participation in your production, right? You don't want to disappoint people. But that's not the only kinds of productions that there are. And I think that, you know, we can have other ways of doing things. You know, people are doing Zoom productions for themselves. They're doing readings for themselves. And I think it's okay to, you know, to explore these things. you know, if it were up to me, you know, I would have everybody doing Twelfth Night in as many different ways as they could <laughs> so that I could come and watch them all because I just never get tired of living in this world. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, there's no right and there's no wrong. Well, I mean. In this in this particular situation, yeah, there, there, especially with this play i I mean that's one Um, that's one way to look at it i i would say though and and just caution because i think you're right i think you're ultimately right that that the the journey that we all undertake is worth something but the audience's Mm -hmm. um presence is worth our best mindful effort and i think that viola Mm -hmm. deserves um our highest possible reasonable estimation of her character and her intelligence based on the text and i i think that that would involve giving some kind of credence the idea that orsino has something that has piqued her interest that is worthwhile you know or potentially worthwhile and i i liked what you said about the possible psychological uh, aspect too you know either with or opposed to a physical one the idea of maybe there's a self-deprecation and a self-awareness especially in some of those earlier speeches he has but um yeah, it's so important to give her that because otherwise, I mean, we've got the golden gun of the play. We're not putting any bullets in it for her. You know what I mean? This is, you know, I mean. <laughs> uh, well, I hear you. And, uh, you know, having been a confused young woman and having known many confused 
young women or young people. You know, you certainly don't have to be female to be confused. Um, I, to me, it does not diminish her if she is emotionally confused. You know, the whole play is emotionally confused. And frankly, I don't see a way to redeem Orsino or Viola's attraction to Orsino. I don't care how sexy he is. I don't care if he is Russell Brand. And and I, you know... I think I just think I Russell Brand. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I, no question there. I mean, I, I would find it difficult to certainly resist Russell Brand, at least listening to him, if nothing else. But, you know, all that aside, um, you know... I don't feel that that diminishes her at all. And, you know, throughout the whole play, she's talking about how she's confused, how everybody looks attractive to her at that moment. We know she's very needy, and we don't always make the smartest decisions when we're needy and desperate. And to me, the fact that she fell in love with this completely unsuitable jerk and yet still attracted love from Olivia. To me, that was a note of hope. And that even though we may pursue somebody and even get somebody who is unsuitable or won't treat us well, that doesn't mean that nobody else is ever going to love us. And like I said, I don't know how you redeem Orsino, frankly. I just don't know like he's talking about killing her the thing he says before the thing he says to her before he tells her to go change her clothes is I, i'm gonna go kill you how can you you know <laughs> how is that redeemable um it's not so i don't know you know if she goes off with him willingly at the end of the play uh, to me that's condoning abuse. Uh, well, you, you know, he he hasn't apologized to her. You got like uh, half a scene to get from mm -hmm. after him. I love I go after him. I love more than I love these eyes, more than my life, more my all mores than Aaron. I shall love wife. If I do fade, you witnesses above punish my life for tainting of my love. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, she's she's in the thick of the, the nice thing here. I mean, you got you got to get from that to the end of the scene. She's got to lose it, I, you know. But the nice thing here is there's so many damn twists and turns happening every 30 seconds. Everyone can freaking quit and fall in love with someone else by the end of this damn scene. <laughs> well, exactly. And at the end of our production, I had Olivia and Sebastian and Antonio and Viola all go off in a happy quartet. And... Nobody got married, and they all lived happily ever after in Olivia's garden and let uh, Mariah run things. Hmm. That's, That's how wonderful. it ends in my head. That's my head canon. <laughs> that seems good. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. All right. So clearly, listener, <laughs> it's up to you what you want to do. And... Just do realize that these are important choices. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been so impassioned about them. Um, so where are we? I got a little bit. Well, we're, we had the moment here. where Olivia's like, hey, uh, it's not going to happen. And 
Orsino says, well, then I'll are... kill the thing I love to spite oh, you. Oh, that dissembling cub. Mm. And he's, just a, he's just a jerk. Um, well, what wilt thou be when time hath sowed a grizzle on thy case when you grow a beard? Um, or else, or will not else thy craft so quickly grow that thine own trip shall be thine overthrow? So again, there he's saying... Are you going to sabotage yourself? Are you going to continue in this way, being this apparently lying, two-faced person who is supposed to plead Olivia's case for him? And we can understand why Orsino feels betrayed here. It is the opposite of what Viola Cesario promised to do. Uh, still, killing, killing them seems a little extreme. Okay, enter Sir Andrew. Here he's he has broke my head across and has given Sir Toby a bloody coxcomb too. For the love of God, your help! I had rather than forty pound I were at home. Hmm. Um, this is always for me such a painful little yeah, it is bit here. Yeah, it's it strikes those false staff uh, hmm. Hank that rejection. You know, it's all and mm -hmm. there's something about Shakespeare. He just likes kicking you right in the freaking gut. <laughs> Sometimes, man, he can't just let you end the thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Toby is, well, not at his best. <laughs> Clearly here, uh, he wants to go see the surgeon, but Festy says, oh, he's drunk. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Toby's like, how dare he? Mm. <laughs> and he's a rogue. I hate a drunken rogue. <laughs> Sure you do, Toby. Uh, and Olivia is upset at this point. And then uh, poor Andrews, I'll help you, Sir Toby, because we'll be dressed together. And then, uh, John, you want to read that Toby belt? Oh, you, you. This is the last you, you never get to read anything. That's because I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Will you help? An ass head and a coxcomb and a knave, a thin-faced knave, a gull! Oof. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And Olivia sensibly says, get him to bed and let his hurt be looked to. And I just, I don't know any way to play that scene other than just a, a little mini tragedy right there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, None of us are really surprised that that's Toby's sentiment. We're just kind of shocked at the viciousness mm. and the openness of it. Uh, but certainly anybody who's been beat up knows that, you know, all the niceness, all the, um, you know, any kind of social graces that you might have in that moment, if you're in pain and hurting and been beat up, then those may leave you. Well, and, and for the truly nefarious there's also this uh emotional and horrible personal argument that they're having where uh, now andrew can feel like that he has accidentally affronted his poor dear friend um is going to excuse toby from having to fulfill whatever deal he was uh, going to have to fulfill with andrew so not that that's ever talked about in any way here but <laughs> the fact that we've had a big spat mm -hmm. kind of clears toby of uh had, having to uh, further worry about andrew 
which is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, one of the great magical moments. <laughs> So then into this kind of uh, mix of very alarmed uh, characters who keep being kind of thrown off balance, all of a sudden uh, the biggest shocker to them all wanders in and Sebastian enters the stage. And for the Mm -hmm. first time, we see Sebastian and Viola Cesario on the same stage at the same time. And, Dun, you know, it's it's the big reveal and it's very exciting. Um, <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like that moment when Sebastian walks on the stage and, you know, that sort of magical moment where everybody is seeing the two of them. How do you two play with that do you stretch it out do you try to make it really concise are there people who are just sort of oblivious until the last second how do you make that work um well we're uh we're Mm -hmm. big believers in um there shouldn't be any dead air on stage during shakespeare um so he's sort (laughs) of you know our our credo is all entrances are made talking um, <laughs> so he's talking, you know, so he was talking as he came in, which gives everybody else a chance to do a lot of, um, you know, silent reacting as he's bopping along oblivious to, to the, um, sort of emotional chaos he's causing. <laughs> well, um, you know, this, this thing's you, really John? a bear, this, this whole scene in particular but um as we get into this moment and then continuing to the end it this this one is really a bear first you got to determine at what exact point are you staging you know uh viola saint kim it's weird that everyone's on and then we go for these beats um of the uh sebastian duke sebastian antonio interaction um, and then we get that 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 wonderful, wonderful, you know, uh, balloon piercing, uh, the, one of the lovely moments in the play uh, from Olivia. That most wonderful, <laughs> you know, like just when it, she's oh my god, there's two, there's of, two them. of them, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the cup runneth uh, over. 
And then, you know, at that point, we're, you know, we got Sebastian talking, uh, you know, and we we can imagine sort of the classic staging in Shakespeare's physical theater, which is, you know, and, and a lot of uh, spaces that I've worked in for this play have had similar uh, setups where you've got that long, you know, uh, drive up front going into, you know, a thrust and then the two quarters coming down the side mm-hmm. so that you can really start to get into a rotating where the two characters are taking the length and breadth of the stage and and then beginning to rotate around and see each other. And so that kind of thing is is um, uh, kind of the classic way to go with it in the, as they're mingling through other characters. But in, in that beginning, it's... Um, uh, you know, he cuts through, mm-hmm. you know, I've always had him kind of cut, come in and cut across, you know, um, and then we, we, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that answered totally. your question. Totally, but... <laughs> no, totally, very, very clearly. Uh, and yes, that most wonderful line is the yeah. absolute best. My favorite line I don't blame you. It is, uh, there's, out of so many favorites, it is for sure my favorite of Olivia's lines. Mm. And it, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's this wonderful catharsis, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, this whole time, we as the audience know, okay, there's two of them. Olivia is chasing after both of them. She she doesn't know, you know, how, what would she think? How would I feel if I was in that situation? You know, what a terrible situation to be in, you know, mm. where she... She is attracted to somebody who is, you know, not interested in her. And then she, you know, meets this total stranger and decides to marry him. But she doesn't know he's a total stranger. You know, she thinks it's this other person. Mm -hmm. How is she going to react? And she busts out with that. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's it's, you know, it's first of all, it's having her cake and Mm -hmm. eating it, too. You know, Um, it's also. Everything makes sense now. That that abrupt one eighty that Cesario seems to have done yes. makes sense. Yeah, she's you know like this is not especially you know since Cesario just chose the Duke over her, um, mm-hmm. you know. Ba- so basically, she is you know given away her virginity, which you know in the patriarchal society is the only thing she has of value to this man who's throwing her mm-hmm. over. For her almost sworn enemy mm-hmm. at this point, because he's such a giant pain in her ass, and suddenly it's okay. She did. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. I had not been that far in Olivia's head for sure, and you are absolutely right mm-hmm. about that. She's she's mm-hmm. not just thrilled that there's two people that she is in love with. All of a sudden, she's not crazy. That is wonderful. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't just throw her life <laughs> yes. away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the yeah, she wasn't betrayed. All of that. All of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. absolutely right. Mm. Yeah. So then she says that, and um, what I don't like is when the actors don't let that line breathe. Because people don't necessarily laugh at it instantly. Sometimes it mm. takes, there's this sort of rolling catharsis that happens from that line. And, mm-hmm. um, well, and that's the trick of it. You have to, you have to convey all of that stuff in two mm-hmm. words and still get a laugh. Yes. 
Yes. Well, it's interesting um, here to going into it, like, uh, or, I mean, coming out of that moment, we are, you know, usually a, a big laugh, mm-hmm, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and joy. And then mm-hmm. this part's a little I rough. agree. I uh, agree. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering yeah. how you two yeah. felt about it. You know, it's, it's yeah. always, it's, you know, it's like, dude. Painful. How long are they going to say this stuff? Is it really yeah. possible they don't completely yeah. understand who the other person man? And then well, if they but... do understand it and they're just kind of affirming with each other in a loving fashion, do we need two pages of that? <laughs> uh, you know, and, yeah. But I, I, I actually, and I am not a person that ever argues that Shakespeare has not used two words. <laughs> um, but I do, because this is all of the grief that the two of them have yeah. been sort of suppressing mm-hmm. for each yeah. other gets processed at the same moment with the basically they get to mourn each other to each other and then Mm -hmm. rejoice yeah you know and that's a pretty yeah you know it's real you can't really cut any lines in here when you're you're, you're looking to cut for time i tried but no actually i never cut anything (laughs) what am i saying except for uh well romeo and juliet needs to be cut but um yeah but i i don't like I don't like yeah. cutting things just I mean, because I don't like them is not a reason for me to cut them. <sighs> the poetry in this is it extraordinary. Is, it's it is. so beautiful. And yet I I can't help but feel as an audience member, okay, 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 get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. <laughs> you know, as you were saying, you know. He's doing wet people, eyes, she's doing yeah, wet eyes, they're pee, slowly walking towards each people other. People got to walk their dogs, yeah. people got to send their babysitters home, <laughs> yeah. and at this point it's like, eh. Um, and it's funny because that's the way I feel about the Malvolio stuff. I'm like, oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been most wronged. She got married. He got married. Everybody well, got married. Well, we're coming up. We're coming um, up on that but, next. So but this is this is for me. This is the this these two pages. This page is the the emotional is really the meat of the play. Uh. and it it does again kind of require a lot from the actors who play Sebastian mm-hmm. and Viola to mm-hmm. make this a compelling scene to understand the strong mm-hmm. emotions and you know unfortunately you know a lot of times the ingenue kind of parts and and I'd argue that Sebastian and Viola are both ingenues mm-hmm. um, they're twins after all um, mm-hmm. you know you don't always get your most experienced actors in those roles um a lot of times you you get a a pretty face and a a very excited actor who wants this role (laughs) Mm -hmm. but may Mm -hmm. not have developed the maturity to bring the kind of depth to it that it needs in scenes like this to make them compelling so i suspect that in that case i mean there's certainly plenty of young very talented actors but um I think it it a little hand holding about this part of the play and the character and everything else. A little discussion about that, and then you just gotta let make their own choices because, you know, they're the ones doing it. That's how that's how mm-hmm. it works. I'm not the one up there, being stared at by an audience of people trying to remember my lines. So, you gotta trust your performers. Okay, so then mm-hmm. they go through this little back and forth. Um, they're they're very poetic i i feel like this too um if they're not 
you know, if they don't look exactly alike, which it's really rare when they do, unless, of course, you're like John and only cast twins in those roles, um, <laughs> then they they talk the same. They have a similar kind of expression. And I think mm -hmm. this scene does serve to say, yes, they are twins. They did grow up together. Look, they use the same flowery language. They go on too long about this shit. So I, I think it does serve well in that case. And then mm -hmm. Orsino butts in. Yeah, me too. Me too, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I shall have share in this most happy wreck. More uh, ship's terms, ocean-going terms. And then, boy, thou hast said to me a thousand times, thou never shouldest love woman like to me. Well, nice of him to remember, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, then she goes on to say, and all those swings will I overswear. And then he says the line that just... <laughs> hmm. Give me thy hand and let me see thee in thy woman's weeds. And weeds is another word for clothing. Uh, listeners, mm -hmm. if if you weren't aware, and hundreds of masters theses, theses, have you say that word? Uh, well, they're made from linen, which is flax, which is a weed. Blah 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 blah. But um, in any event, it's not a derogatory comment. He's not saying go get your old, you know, shipwrecked clothes on because they are tattered and torn. He's just saying right. go go get your regular clothes on so that you look the way. Well, no, but I mean the meaning of what he's saying there, you know. Oh, like exactly. That's yes, the, I hear that's you. That's the big old. That's the, that's uh, what people are writing their theses about is how he is requiring <laughs> that severs day from night. She finishes, continuing the verse. Duke picks it up. Give me thy hand, and then the next line, and let me see thee in thy woman's weeds. And uh, yeah. The uh, the captain has got the clothes, and you know, uh, I mean, right. The big thing is that uh, back in the day, we've got a guy that was uh, dressed up as a woman, then uh, mm -hmm. as a man, and now he doesn't really have time to go get dressed up again. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the reason why it went this way, a uh, lot of other takes on it uh, since then. What's your guys? Uh... Well, I don't understand why he. You know, given that there's no time for Viola to go put on something pretty, um, why is the line there at all? <laughs> you know, why doesn't he? You know, um, I part of me thinks that it's there just to make sure that we all know that the Duke knows that she's a lady and so he's going to marry the lady uh, where that's, you know, comedies end with the boys marrying girls and girls marrying okay. boys. Um, you know, I just, I think it's so funny that the solution to this was to completely invent a plot that never, we never see or hear anything yeah. about. <laughs> well, the captain did this. The, yeah. the, the captain made Malvolio mad at some unstated <laughs> point at, un, you know, whenever Malvolio left the house. Um, well, and now the captain's in jail. My, my hunch about this, and, um, I apologize because I don't actually know but my hunch about this and what happens a lot in these weird kind of plot things is that it's a, a vestige of the original story 
mm. where which was a very popular story and one in which uh, the count does imprison Viola Cesario. That there's mm. time in between when he finds out that Olivia married who she thought was Cesario and the big reveal. And in that time, um, Cesario's in prison and, you know, may have encountered the captain there or something. But I I suspect that that's where that comes from. <laughs> that's so funny because my suspicion is that they did a run through and somebody went, well, what happened to the captain? Why can't we, you know, like, or, or, or like some like, smart ass actor was yeah. just like, the guy that played the captain was like, but I can come back. Yeah. And you're like, no, nope, no time. You're, or, you're in jail. I had Captain and Malvolio uh, paired up as actors a couple uh, of times, you know, yeah. both tackling the roles, but also it, it does kind of, the captain's like the stepping stone into the Malvolio, you know, to the final kind of bit here of the play too. So it's also kind of that, like, can we just pivot and jeté off of this dress thing and go right <laughs> onto the captain, yeah. see with the chug in a bit, and then yeah. springs I, I, it's from it's that not even, over it's to not the even Malvolio. It's not clear to me why, why does she have to explain where her clothes are? You know, right. why does like, it even come They're up? standing outside Olivia's yeah. house. Go get yeah, some exactly, of Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure somebody in that household has something you can wear. Yeah. And, okay, yeah. so right now I'm, I'm going to let one of my little dogs out because he he wants to go out and he has shut the light off. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Because it's one of those foot pedals that he figured out. <laughs> I'll be right back. Stop talking bad about okay. Malvolio. <laughs> Okay. All better? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Little. Um, I was actually going to say that I, when we did this when I was in college, our customer very cleverly designed the Sebastian and Viola costumes to have a cape so that at the end, so at the woman's weeds, uh, Viola was able to take her cape and use it as a skirt. Oh, which I thought was a very clever way of clever. Uh, of handling this issue. Huh. Yeah. And that's, you know, assuming that you want to tie it all up in a nice bow at right. the end. Yeah, yeah. I think perhaps that put on woman's weeds thing, there's a slight bit of comedy in that, right? Because the audience would have known that the actor was a boy. Right. And mm -hmm. so the idea that just... You know, putting on a dress is enough for Orsino. <laughs> <laughs> Given that then, you know, we now know that, you know. But still, that is, that was really a belief back then and in ancient times too, which is that if you wore the clothes of the other gender too much, that you basically started becoming that gender. And, you know, this is one of those things that sounded kind of really crazy and far-fetched to me, but... Now that I'm older and understand that gender is considerably more complicated than I was taught to believe, in a sense that is true. You know, if if gender is something that's internal and that we express ourselves with, then somebody choosing to represent as a gender different than themselves that they were born with. I'm getting into all kinds of thorny language here. <laughs> but, you know, if it's showing more of your true self, then mm. maybe it was associated with 
a kind of trans sensibility for a good reason. You know, there are certainly mm -hmm. lots of incidences of people in cultures before us all over the world of people, you know, women dressing as a man, um, living as men, and being accepted that way. It, it seems to me that it did not have the weird stigma necessarily that some people seem mm -hmm. to get very freaked out about today if somebody mm -hmm. does not stick with the gender that people thought they were when they were born. I love it with the genders, though, when they're like, the, when the uh, molecular biologist comes mm -hmm. on, the, the gal from the, whatever university, the head research mm -hmm. in the world, and it's like, yeah, no, it's not it's not so much with the two genders. There's like this whole spectrum of this, 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 and this. And if you look at these things here, these guys have like seven different things going on. And if you look mm -hmm. at these things here, there. And also personally, it's just in it. And but again, just the the it's the the field is so oversaturated that that can't they just can't get through. You know, it's just like the common sense thing. Well, but dude, it's I, a, there's I a think part center. of it is that gender reassignment surgery has become possible now. Mm. And I suspect that that has kind of heightened the stakes. In that somebody could have been presented as a different gender in the past. And you might get tricked or something by falling in love with somebody. Yeah, I think it, I feel like that's almost like what's underlying it all is the fear of of being attracted to somebody who might once have been a gender that you think you're never gonna be attracted to. Yeah, uh, that there's, and I I do think that um, that so much of this discussion, and it's you know it's much of the discussion with, you know, well. Trans kids shouldn't play sports of oh, the, the, yeah. the gender that they are. They should play sports of the sex they were born. Da, 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 da. Is that I, it is it's so much of it does come down to people's own fears about their gender and their sexuality and not necessarily wanting to address being the being something other than they than they mm -hmm. are. And so that it becomes a it becomes an a, a an attack on their concept of self. Um, whereas there is not a you know there's not a trans person in the world who really wants to attack your your view of yourself. No. They're having enough <laughs> struggle just getting to be who they are. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so much of that is is not really about morality. It's not really about um religion it's it's about um self-knowledge and the fear of self-knowledge for people mm -hmm. i agree well well said okay so we've orsino has come in we, we, speaking we, of fear of yes. self-knowledge <laughs> we've weeded some women we've weeded we're gonna weed some we've women weeded We've weeded the woman patch, yeah, and now we're. Woman have you? Patch. A, does your brain, whenever when you're like reading Shakespeare, make mm. inappropriate puns that would not have been relative at the time? I mean, 100%. you know, 
weed. I've written a few plays. But... Really? Because, you know, weed now <laughs> yeah. means, I'm actually working means on one right nothing now. like what it meant then. But, uh, you know, mm. if somebody came, if Viola came back on stage with a bong. Um... <laughs> Anybody who's ever spent any time with teenagers in Shakespeare knows oh, yeah. all of the. It's in Buttsoft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I clearly never progressed past that. So what can I say? Oh no! I have nothing but respect for any middle school teacher approaching Shakespeare. Oh. <laughs> and then always they're always stuck with Romeo and Juliet. It's just, it's just not no. fair. It's not fair. Well, it's it's an entry drug. It's you know, I mean, it's 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 a bunch of teenagers with swords. No, it's a good it's a good time. There's lots of parts. And yeah. there's parts, you know, for every gender and parts that are uh, really kind of vague on the gender. Lots of courtiers. I I totally get it. Um, anyway, that's a whole other play. And it's fun for the for the 13-year-old to watch the 13-year-old character actress realize that the nurse is secretly the best part of the yes. play, even though. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it is. No, nobody thinks she is. <laughs> I like, I like, uh, you know, my uh, freshman high school English class to be given like Julius Caesar, just to just get them really mm-hmm. just right. That's, that's a good that's one. That's what I did. Stabbing the shit out of each other. Just freshman just or sophomore year. It was political drama. Yeah. Then we'll get to the nuance of the love stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I like to really just arm them mm-hmm. and mm. uh, have them just go to town right in the old uh, Coliseum. Nice. There. You know, nice. just. just... <laughs> well, if anybody's going to understand backstabbing, it is a 15 year old. That's right. Girl, so. oh. Oh, too true. No. Oh, poor things. Poor too things, true. Oh. Yeah. And I say this as somebody who went to an all girls oh, high school. So. Ouch. <laughs> and read Julius Caesar. So. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rough, rough stuff. Yeah. I, I think uh, Bridget just is stalling so we don't have to talk about Malvolio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. We're galloping toward the finish. Yep, we're almost here. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Clown first, though. Okay. Clown so, first. Um, all right. And so she says the captain did bring me first on shore we just babbled about that a little bit speaking of the captain who was talking to Malbolia oh Malbolia maybe we should get some Malbolia has has anyone seen the man who runs my house (laughs) you know (laughs) also that's uh, yes yes that's where he went much distract a most extracting frenzy of my with no light (laughs) and probably rats but that's okay let's flow city bus bus out here about whether or not you should be wearing a jacket all right Twelfth night, flew to Naboo. And I was confused because I just came, so, yeah. you know, I wasn't really thinking about him. Well, oh, now we have to talk about Malvolio. There goes the well, day. There well, goes the fun. Uh. <laughs> All right, so Festy chimes in and says, Truly, madam, he holds Beelzebub at the stave's end, as well as a man in his case may do. Bring, bringing up the point that Malvolio is possessed, that he's 
And then that thing more important than any other act of God, more powerful than Hecate, more uh, uh, potent than any Titania uh, love-drenched Oberon spell, (laughs) that that plot device of all plot devices. Oh, another motherfucking letter. (laughs) Another fucking letter. Three quarters of Shakespeare depends on somebody reading a goddamn letter. And don't you just always have to make letters every time? You know if you do another Shakespeare play, it's you're so gonna have to make another fucking letter. But so no, somebody go get the tea bags and let's cut up a towel and start stapling. Show don't leaven. tell, Willie. Show don't tell. Every goddamn time. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's like it's it's like he had stock in a paper company. Yep. Again, there's the classic question, producers out there in uh, listener land. Do I write the thing that the actor is going to say upon the letter? Yes, you do. They may or may, okay, yes. all right. Always. Yes. All right, okay, all right. Always. All right. Because first of all, it saves your poor actor. Yeah. Second of all, for the student matinee, when the kid close enough to the stage goes, there's nothing on that letter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or do and, you possibly write something that uh, is going to possibly mess up their performance but be funny as hell? It's no. up to you. <laughs> the answer to that one is no. No, never ever. And as definitely no props. <laughs> as we are painfully aware as directors, somebody sounds different with lines they have memorized than something they are reading mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. And so instead of making the actor do that mental algebra, of, okay, I was supposed to make it sound like I'm not reading on paper, except on this one instance when I'm supposed to pretending I'm reading on paper. Mm-hmm. It it, uh, it saves everyone and yes. the authenticity. Yes. I mean, that is not to say that as an actor, you shouldn't memorize those lines for the time some <laughs> asshole decides to write, draw dirty pictures on your letter instead. John Bean. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> write out the letter <laughs> not saying that's never happened <laughs> I like to to make the actor write it out because mm. you know you you don't want them tripping over the lines you don't want them mm. tripping over the words I've never had a Malvolio that would write out his own props he was Malvolio's always just to... wanted everything <laughs> handed to him very and is let me know when it shan't be uh, being, you know, when it's not quite Well, up to we pie. all risk casting to type, so it happens. <laughs> okay. So. And I loved all my Malifoyos. I'm just going to turn it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I love this thing where Festy starts to read the letter. Yeah, that's the best. That's a great. That's a great. You know, that's and and can just be as obnoxious as he wants. And here's Festy, who's like throughout the whole play is so calculated. Everything they're saying, everything they're doing, you know. And then here's a moment when the actor can just be obnoxious about it. Yeah. Well, I always, like I say, I always I've said this a few times. Equate Festy with Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, he's got especially in the in the movies when. 
you know, there's some major, you know, Daffy Ducks in the gold mine, and there's a plot going on mm-hmm. with the giant. And then just like all of a sudden walking through the scene, it's like, I'm looking over a tree leaf clover. <laughs> and he smacks someone around, and boom, he's out. It's that, you know, and that cartoonish ability to go huge all mm-hmm. of a sudden and then mm-hmm. back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. He's a clown. Mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny is definitely a clown for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and always one one that's, step that's ahead of everyone else. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that, that's why I've always re- rebounded, rebelled, rebelled. Let's say re- regurgitated, rebelled <laughs> against. Are the, we going uh, through the R words of... in the dictionary in your head? <laughs> <laughs> Things that go that way yes. with the R's. Yes. Um, but the uh, the notion of the kind of you know uh, saint monk, you know kind of festy mm-hmm. the you know the the this here and the with the sitar and the, and the studied glance and mm-hmm. you know that it's just the energy doesn't it doesn't yeah. work mm-hmm. for me yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay so then uh we get fabian olivia asks fabian to read the letter and uh I think, as I mentioned before, you know, we saw that production, which we had mixed feelings about, but they sort of had Fabian as a lawyer. And I, I really, mm. I can see that here, too. <clears throat> um, you know, why they sort of started thinking that way, because up until this point, he's this real unrepentant frat boy. But he cleans mm. up real nice in court and, uh, you know, <laughs> is able to bring a a note of gravitas when it's needed. And that's an interesting twist in a character. Like, you know, even today, you don't see a character who's just some kind of goofy, um, you know, trickster suddenly turn around and become the voice of reason in the final act, you know? This this part's rough, though. Gonzo in the Muppet movie. Yes. Gonzo. Well, Gonzo oh. is another is in a class by himself. Oh, I, I can't. That. I can't handle I love it. Gonzo. Can't handle it. <laughs> I'm going to come back here. Exactly. I can't deal with it. <laughs> Breaks me up. Just can't even think about it too long. Mm-hmm. But time. I don't know. This whole section right here, mm-hmm. uh, as we get into the to the Fabian. Uh, Recollecting everything that has happened in the play thus far, yes. his guilt just kind of also feels like, uh, you know what? I think the the groundlings might be drunk now because it was four hours ago when we started this thing. So we got to um, recap. Let's get Todd Todd up there because everyone else is tired. Todd's only had two lines, and uh, and we'll just remind him before we do the magical there ending. You go. Okay, there you yeah. go. You know. Yeah. There you go. But yeah. even Orsino says, this savors not much of distraction. So. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And Fabian's like, oh, you think so? Let me do two more yeah. pages. <laughs> yeah. The Duke's like, I, look, I got to get this chicken in the yeah. <laughs> Which is Sebastian, Viola, whichever one. Come with me. Yeah. Why don't we put a dress on? <laughs> So Olivia sends Fabian to go find Malvolio, and mm. uh, apparently it's just a hop and a skip away because they come right back. Orsino's going, is this the madman? Now, it seems unlikely to me that Orsino would not know who Malvolio was, but phrasing is 
different in early modern English. And so he can easily be saying, Malvolio, have you lost your mind? Uh, rather than saying, is this the person that I know to be Malvolio? Right. Like, I, I think that there's also some, you know, Malvolio is so fastidious and precise. Mm -hmm. And then when he's come out of this imprisonment, he's a mess. And so I think there's like, there's stuff to be played with there. Is he still in his yellow stockings? Yeah, I think so. But he's also like they're torn or they've fallen mm -hmm. down and he doesn't he's have usually trailing something. Mm -hmm. Right. He doesn't have the chain of office or right. whatever, or the big, you know, whatever it is like he's he's obviously been ill. He's had a had a very, yeah. very bad day. Yeah. OK. Yes. And what is your thinking about how long Malvolio has been in there? I mean, it's only been for it's only a couple of it's only a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but things get really I mean, heavy. I don't know if anyone play. It's only a couple well. That's of what hours. I'm wondering because I always had Maya Malvolio just come out in that same outfit. But he... oh yeah, in the same outfit. But they, you know, they they throw him in this dark, dirty. I can room see that it would be the, dirty. Yeah. You cellar. know, I, and I, I agree. He's already befriended a mouse, and he's he's yeah. taken out some of his teeth and made a writing pen for his last will and testament on the I mean, I toilet agree. paper. He scratched one into the wall. It's only it's there. <laughs> I agree that we should show something rather than, because mm -hmm. that's our job is mm -hmm. to show things. And so we need to show mm -hmm. that he has been uncomfortable. When people start rhapsodizing about how evil Festy is or how cruel Toby and Mariah are, he was only there for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> and he was not left completely alone. People came to talk to him. He 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 believed that Festy was going to help him wrongly, probably. And yet Festy does help him in that he does deliver the letter. He doesn't just tear it up. He doesn't write his own. He does actually do what Malvolio asked him to do. But that, that you know, the, it's not the length of time. It's the, it's the, he doesn't know that, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. he doesn't know it's only going to be, and I, I can, you know, not personal experience or anything, but when I was a young, very young lad, there may have been a night when I turned 21 that I <laughs> may have, uh, you know, uh, possibly got thrown into a room for a few hours uh, after freaking Oberon at Midsummer Night's Dream introduced me to this whole Johnny Walker thing that I had never met before. But anyway, that's a, a different That's story. Oberon's but, um, job, though, isn't it? <laughs> now, first nice part about this is uh, that, you know, if you're only in there for a couple of hours, it's not the worst thing in the world. But if you get a couple hours after that and the Johnny Walker wears off, it starts to get, especially if you're a... A high-strung, well-read young lad that writes sonnets, as I'm sure Mavolio must have been. I don't know uh, that. Um, <laughs> it's quite, quite uh, off. It makes shakes you. Mm -hmm. You're in there. You're like, oh my god, I'm gonna get raped any minute. This is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a, a sensitive soul that writes poetry, and I'm in love with the mistress, with uh, Olivia. I don't. What the devil is in the cell next to me? I, mm. you know. You start singing spirituals, you start, you know, like, you know, writing really bad novels, and it's all over. Malvolio doesn't know. Anyway. All right. All that to say, Malvolio doesn't know that he's all getting right, out yeah. soon. Well, and it's also, the for someone as 
and you have to be careful like getting too psychological about Shakespeare because psychology didn't exist. But for someone as tightly controlled as Malvolio to lose all control. There you go. That's you should you should. That's what is that what you were trying to say? That's the thing. Yes, uh, that over there. Yeah, that was the yes. Thing. X this part yes. out. This square is an X and um, and that is one way to play it. Um, however, the Malvolios that I have met in real life, and I would not call you a Malvolio at all, uh, John. Um, <laughs> the Malvolios that I've met in real life were more like, oh, this is just all a mistake. I'm not going mm. to be here very long and heads will roll when I get out again any minute now. I mean, there's people in prison who still to this day caught red handed and are still going, oh, no, I don't belong here. I'm not going to be here very long. And so to me, that's the kind of person that Malvolio is. Now, let me make it clear. It's the actor's choice. This is totally my head canon, But I think he expected Festy to do his bidding because he expects everyone to do his bidding. And I think that he expects that he's going to come out and everybody's going to go, oh, oh, this is terrible that happened to you. And it that is what happens. Yeah. Um, it's a mistake. He's set free. Um, Olivia apologizes as best she can and then sends someone else to chase after him. Um, she really didn't know what was going on. And, you know, the object of his desire had not betrayed him. So I just don't think he's that much worse for the wear. You know, I, I, <laughs> I think he needed to be in there a lot longer. <laughs> some of us take that very seriously if he was going to learn if he was going to learn some sort of lesson of humility or if he was going to start feeling vulnerable i think he'd i don't think a couple hours are going to do it. and and you know he comes out and he obviously hasn't changed you know he he well, instantly comes out one and starts got... lecturing everyone so hmm. Why does everyone else get to have this wonderful, happy ending that the whole fucking palace is concerned about when he is being illegally but he does, against his will he doesn't get and ahead. his mistress is lying to him <laughs> about the affections, which is the most important thing you could have ever lied to him about, and nobody seems to care about any of this. And, it, <laughs> and in fact, they're getting married. Everyone's very happy out here, and she's supposed to be marrying me. <coughs> Why is she with that freaking guy? And et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Who is that freaking guy? <laughs> How long was he gone? Now there's two of them. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. his employer who he was stalking. Oh, come on. He, it's uh, his employer. It's his employer. Yeah, it's his employer. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know that That he place, helped raise, um, his employer that he helped raise, that he was having- Okay, now you, now you were really rolling around. Sexual feelings about- Very gross. It is gross. It's disgusting. You're, try, you're trying to gross it's me out. It's disgusting. Not trying to. Shakespeare wrote it. Oh, we've already argued about this. We've agreed to disagree. No, but that's what we're doing. That was so many acts that's ago. That's what we're doing. We're, so we are agreeing ago. to disagree, and this is us yeah. disagreeing right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I there's think, also well, the lighthearted. Hold, hold on a sec, though. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, 
this is this is the crux of the biscuit right here is what are the lessons that we take away from the fifth act and the fact that the three of us can have three different opinions and that if we went and found you know a dozen more people as obsessed with the play as we were they would have a dozen <clears throat> opinions of their own and that we can definitely agree is where a big part of the appeal of the play is, is that, you know, if, if you want to produce the play in a way that says uh, Malvolio had it coming, you can do that. If you want to produce the play in a way that says, oh, Malvolio was just misunderstood, then you can do that. If you want to do it in such a way that Eh, Malvolio is a side issue and he hardly matters. And what really matters is the interactions between Olivia and Viola and Arsino. You can do it that way. And and that's what's so freaking awesome about the play. So, um, <laughs> but I agree. We probably don't need to rehash all those, the same <laughs> opinions again, uh, especially since our listener probably just heard them a few hours ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, Mal, what we do know is that Malvolio is not speechless in this <laughs> circumstance. And... No, he. I think he explains really very clearly what he's gone through, and I think that we need that from Malvolio. We need to know that he has grokked the whole situation. <laughs> he understands what's mm -hmm. happened to him, in order to kind of tie that up a, a little bit neatly. Um, mm. And Olivia says, I, I didn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. and Such a sad moment. Such a sad moment for me. It Olivia. is. You know, there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it bit, is. a bit of a bummer. Um, it definitely insult to injury here. And yeah. then um, uh, Fabian comes in and... Great. Hey, uh, for those of you that didn't get my recap five minutes ago, let me do another <laughs> little recap. <laughs> Because we're, we're really almost near the end of this day. All right, but he does something super important here in that he protects uh, Maria from blame in the situation, even though we know she did it. But uh, I think Fabian recognizes that it's okay for Olivia to be mad at Toby, but if, you know, if Maria would have to be fired if... If this came out, and I just—that's a great, great lawyer point. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Another a, here he yeah. comes and acting another, as a lawyer. And another, another fabulous chance for a tell, don't show. <laughs> oh, by the way, Mariah and Toby. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I wanted to see so bad. <laughs> by by the way, your uh, lady in waiting is now your sister-in-law, yeah. your cousin-in-law, your aunt. She's your aunt. <laughs> right. She's your aunt. <laughs> Auntie Maria. Right, Auntie Maria, <laughs> and Uncle Stabsy Gut, <laughs> and we all know she's gonna outlive him. So, oh yeah, get used to it. <laughs> no, probably very likely. And then Olivia, uh, alas, poor fool! How have they baffled thee? And uh, pity now he's getting. I'm sure that yeah. that's yeah. gotta hurt too. Yeah. And then Festy. <laughs> comes in with the letter 
um, no, making it clear to Malvolio that he had read the letter before yeah. Malvolio did. And, you know, He's basically quoting every shitty thing that Malvolio said, said. Um, you know, with some of the, again, some of the most often quoted lines in Shakespeare of why some are born great, some <clears throat> achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrown upon them. Um, and then he, he goes on talking about talking to him in prison, mocking him, saying, ah, and I was, you know, pretending to be a priest and you thought you were talking to somebody else. Neener, neener, neener. Um, <laughs> Festy yep. is rubbing it in here for sure, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which Malvolio then understandably says, will you give us that line, please, John? I will. Well, and uh, if if you don't mind real quick on it, the, yeah. it that's the whirly gig of time brings in his revenges. Yes. And that's the whirly gig of time brings in his revenges. And that is for me like a real touchstone on this mm-hmm. thing this whole this whole yes uh, mixed bag of this play and and um and as we're about to get into this uh this end song mm-hmm. here um and it, it really that fluid circular tempestuous you know quality of life and malvolio and you you, ne- you never really hear this line done right in my opinion i'll be revenge because uh you know uh Festy giving him the idea of revenge mm-hmm. in the previous mm-hmm. line, you know, mm-hmm. and it's almost as if to say, if you think that's something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, uh, I mean, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you. And for me, that moment is such a crescendo, such a huge moment that I, it's hard for me to just go into it <laughs> right here. <laughs> I'll tell you um, some of the greatest ideas I've ever come across in terms of staging it mm-hmm. for those uh, people that out there which and i played with uh some of this uh but like the last time i did it um as the scene builds um malvolio ended up with his back mm-hmm. uh, uh to the audience and there's kind of a classic move that you can do here um in the in the last line where as malvolio turns the smiling mm-hmm. starts to happen this huge manic crazy tears mm-hmm. smile and then gives the revenge mm-hmm. line through that you know after you know all of the smiling and and all of the hopes and all of the loves and all the poetry that you could have imagined mm-hmm. with olivia you know but that you you don't see him for a little while as they're just this and this and this and this coming at mm-hmm. him and then we see him uh you know turn around and it's yeah just this and then if you know want to have him Pick up the sword, uh, scream, running, M-O-A-I off the side of the stage. That's totally up to you, you know. <laughs> well, something interesting that I read in the, however much I read in preparing for producing this play. So that's my way of apologizing that I don't remember who the author was of this particular point, is that when we understand that Malvolio, I think we can all agree that he represents a Puritan, in Shakespeare's day. And we know that the Puritans were, not everything that they did were things that we would find unsympathetic. For instance, they felt that the nobility spent too much money on themselves and didn't take care of the poor. Um, they, They wanted people to live a simpler life 
in order that there would be more for everyone. And mm. so during the English Civil War, when the Puritans finally did take over, a big part of the reason that they got that far was because they were like, hey, look at this huge pile of money all these people over here have while we are starving in the streets. Let's tear that shit down. So in that way, you know, when Malvolio says, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you, he is echoing a Puritan sentiment at the time of like, we are taking you corrupt overfed suckers down and they did they were revenged on the whole pack of them they beheaded a king you know um and then after that was the reformation and everything but obviously britain was never the same after its initial civil war and so to me this is prophetic and was shakespeare conscious i, I mean he died long before the Civil War happened. But did Shakespeare and people at the time understand that the way things were was not going to last and that indeed the Puritans could at some point decide that they'd had enough and take everything over? So we we kind of think, oh, Malvolio, he... He probably wandered off and didn't amount to anything, and the rest of them all lived happily ever after and got married. But we don't know. He may have had Olivia's neck on the chopping block within a few years. We have no <laughs> idea what happened next. Um, but the social pressures 13th at the time. night. Yeah, what? 13th night. 13th night. Baker's Oh, man. I, I hope you write that play, John. I think that could be amazing. <laughs> this kind of. I used to have uh, thoughts about um, uh, pairing up the villains, you know, mm -hmm. um, where uh, I kept having this silhouetted image of. Malvolio with the a little sword prancing through the silhouetted trees and then coming across Aaron from Titus Andronicus buried up to his neck in the mm. sand. And <laughs> to then them getting together and, and going to wreck havoc. And then, you know, Neil Gaiman and all those guys started doing all that crap. So, it's mm -hmm. no <laughs> so they're, they're much smarter than I am. Well, so. I don't know about that. Nonsense. I think you could do your own version <laughs> that would be informed uh, differently. Okay. And then uh, Olivia says he hath been most notoriously abused. Mm. Orsino, um, at this point, says, well, that's good employee material. Pursue him and entreat him to a piece. Well, no, because the problem is he still doesn't know where his, where his fiance's <laughs> dress is. Yeah. <laughs> Have him get back to that captain to get back to the dress. Really a one-track mind here at this point yeah. for us, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see the lady in a dress. Right. I'm, I'm humping someone tonight. Right. <laughs> in a dress. <laughs> Poor Orsino. It's, it's and of course, there isn't another dress to be found in the, in the whole of Illyria. Of Illyria. Uh, Just the one she washed up on shore in. Yes. <laughs> it, it is possible that Orsino is perhaps the most politically apt of the bunch other than Festi. 
And mm. it is possible that Orsino understands that a uh, disgruntled steward wandering about the countryside talking shit about your household maybe is not something that you want. He's, you know, he's a very political animal, obviously, because he's, he thinks he was in love with Olivia, but then all of a sudden, here's Viola Cesario. So he's hmm. very practical in certain ways. But hmm. uh, your guys' takes is much funnier than mine, so. <laughs> well, and you know, meantime, sweet sister, we will not part from hence. I'm not leaving your house until you prove to me that this boy is a girl. Yeah. <laughs> game is but called only with her own clothes only with her own clothes none of yours the game's called three minutes in the tower uh, <laughs> go get one of our toby's empty bottles we're playing yeah. sit in the bottle until the captain gets back <laughs> Malvolio is not the only one with a who ends up alone at the end of the play. Um, no, no, there's there's Antonio. Antonio yeah. um, Festi doesn't is not paired up. You know, we don't know what Fabian's gig is, but um, he doesn't have any. Uh, he, he, this is not a everybody automatically gets a happy ending, and mm. in the original story. Uh, Sebastian leaves Olivia. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Poor Olivia. Probably goes off with yeah. Antonia. Well, maybe she left Viola. Maybe it turned out she That's was actually true. in love with Viola, and it was messy, and it, you know. Mm. So who? Well, if they can't find the dresses, Ario's going to have to. <laughs> That's <do something>. true. <laughs> if they can't find the dresses, Ario's going to jail. <laughs> well, no, because he, he, she didn't marry. Oh, that's so right. That's she's not right. going to jail. She just has she's to. She's wide open. Yeah, right? she's yeah. free as a bird. So. Well, the only other girl is married to Toby. So. Yeah. You know what else? Yeah. Married, right? <laughs> now we come to Festy's song, and <clears throat> it's so sad. <laughs> I know. I know. Do you, uh, John? Do you have a song for this? Uh, yeah, I tend to, you know, with all the music, I tend to go, uh, like I say, a bit a bit big and a bit operatic. I, I really like this moment mm -hmm. uh, in the play. It gives me, um, you know, an opportunity to, um, first of all, you know, leaving them on a song, classic show and stuff. But um, it also, uh, so dramatically, we've ended with the, with the group on stage. And if you kind of skip that exunt of everyone mm -hmm. but the clown... Um, Orsino's mistress and his fancy's queen. And uh, in celebration, the clown coming in, when that I was with hey-ho, a wind and the rain. And some of this kind of sharing off into the other couples, mm -hmm. right? You know, some Orsino maybe, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of Olivia and Sebastian, a foolish thing was but it. And as the verse speaks to the individual, for the rain it raineth every day. And when I came to man's estate, obviously probably gives to Viola, hey-ho, wind and the rain, gets knaves and thieves, made the whole thing's building gay, for the rain and rain, and now we're starting to hear a little bit of wind. 
of when I take the last two wife. Getting back to the storm at the beginning of the play. With hey ho, wind and the rain, swing ring to the noon's drive. For the rain, it raineth every day. But when I huddling up, almost that into the woods feel in the second act. Hey. And then finally, all huddled together. A great while ago, the world began. And the the fool at this point orchestrating it, sort of Fantasia, Mickey Mouse almost, with... <sighs> and uh, all of them beginning as the real storm happens to ease out. But that's all one. Now it's just a fool. Our play is... Our play is done. Lucian's not there, and just the fool, and will strive to please you, and scampers off, and they, you know, all this kind of shit. So that's my take on it. <laughs> what about you, Bridget? Uh, we do it as an upbeat curtain call. <laughs> yeah. Whole cast on stage, just singing and being mm-hmm. silly, and then getting off. Yeah, we're not at that point. It's you know ten thirty outside. Bugs are right. Nervous, gotta pee. <laughs> We got to wrap this stuff up because we still have to strike the set yeah. every night. So <laughs> we're moving. Yeah. Yeah. You're already you're already packing up props, putting them in tubs. And... Right, exactly. <laughs> shh, shh, shh. Clang, we're... clang, clang. Yeah. Turn, yeah. yeah. Turn it on the floodlights so the audience can find right, their way out. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yep, yep, yep. Not nearly as dramatic as. No, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a sucker for the cyclical and the physical mm-hmm. manifestation of the theme. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we're like we got cranky kids in this audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? I think we ended up. Festy started singing by themselves, and then gradually everybody started singing along with mm. Festy, um, because. We all really liked having everybody sing at the end, but that's all when our play is done. We strive to please yeah. you every day and then everybody bowing. But I, I like all of those. I mean, I just, I don't think there's, clearly there isn't a wrong way to do it because the play is still being <laughs> well, done no, in every possible yeah, way. Different every time Diff- I've done yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I think that, because the play ends in this sort of open-ended way, you really need something saying, okay, we're done now. We're done telling <laughs> yes. this. We know we left all these loose ends up, but that's all we got for you. Goodbye. Um, Back to the Muppets. It's Animal bursting through the screen and yelling, go home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Gosh, we made it to the end. Yeah, man. We did. We did. We made it to the end. A great while ago, this podcast begun. Yeah. (laughs) With Hey Ho, One in the Rain. Hey, I got to say, you know, this all happened during the COVID years, listeners, uh, during the the pandemic. and, And you two, it has been such an absolute honor to have got to know you and to have had this. Um, mm-hmm. over this last year, months, yeah. however long, you know, part of the year. And it's yeah. just been such a joy and a rock um, having this and uh, meeting you guys. 
and uh, talking with everyone about this play and digging into something so complex and wonderful and so uh, personal and, uh, and you know, filled with passions and possibilities yes. and the doldrums of everyday life, all of it, you know, all mixed up together and <laughs> as we've been going through this. So I'm just so grateful to have had the opportunity to, to do this with you guys. So thank you so much for having me on this. Oh, it's totally my yeah. pleasure. What he said. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Uh, you know, I I interviewed I don't know how many people, but um, what still kind of amazes me is that John was the first person to respond, and Bridget was the last person to respond, <laughs> and you two were the winners that stuck with me. There were a lot of really interesting, wonderful people who talked to me, and um, uh, you know. We had Katerina on for a little while at the beginning. We did. And then we did. The stuff came up. And mm -hmm. uh, really grateful to Cha for coming oh, in. Oh, absolutely. And helping me Most deaf. understand yeah. so much more. Um, I'm and I'm so grateful to you both for sticking with it and my <laughs> crazy idea. <laughs> oh, it's been it's been an absolute it's been absolute awesome. joy. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, now I get to look forward to editing the whole thing, which yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be so sick no, of voices. No, I will never be sick of your voices. I love your voices so much. I mean, honestly, if I didn't like your voices, you wouldn't have gotten on the show. That's not how it works. Not, works. not at all how it works. I have learned so much. Me as well. Doing this, Boy, like, I, I, thought I, gotta, I knew yeah. a lot about Twelfth Night yeah. until mm. we started doing this podcast together. And mm. really what I've learned is that, like, we are just scratching the surface. As long as we have oh, yeah. spent talking about this, like, there's more and there's always more. And, uh, you know, you two have both brought your different perspectives and a lot of sincerity and heart to the conversation and I loved the fact that we've been able to disagree and think that that was grand all three of us not one of us minded that one bit and it's just been so much more of a, a deeply important and personal experience than I ever expected it to be you know you start a podcast and you're like yeah I'll just talk to some people about Shakespeare I didn't realize that, you know, that like you said, John, that it would become this sort of rock for me in this uncertain mm. time of like, well, at least I always know when it's Wednesday <laughs> because yeah. I don't yeah. necessarily know yep. what what any other day of the week is. <laughs> so. Yep. And of course, listeners, uh, we are doing all of this recording on Zoom as we are all living our lives on Zoom. And I have to say there is something absolutely de delightful about watching Rachel make John blush with yet another Shakespearean picture. <laughs> <laughs> that was one one rock solid thing that was going to happen everywhere. So to speak. <laughs> Damn. Boom. One more in. <laughs> one more. All right. <laughs> all right all right that's all one our play is done we mm. strive to please you, you every day thank you for listening mm. bye bye thank you guys thank you
when that I was a little tiny boy with a hey-ho, the wind in the rain, a foolish thing was but a toy. For the rain it raineth every day with a hey-ho, wind and the rain, for the rain it raineth every day. When I came to man's estate with a hey-ho, the wind and the rain, against knaves and thieves, men shut their gates, for the rain it raineth every day. But when I came, alas, to wife, with a hey-ho, the wind and the rain, by swaggering could I never thrive, for the rain it raineth every day. With a hey-ho, wind and the rain, for the rain it raineth every day. When I came unto my beds, with a hey-ho, the wind and the rain, with toss pots still and drunken heads, for the rain it raineth every day. A great while ago the world begun with a hey-ho, the wind and the rain. But that's all one, our play is done, and we'll strive to please you every day with a hey oh wind and the rain for the rain it raineth every